Hey, hey, kids. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> happy birthday to you, and happy birthday to you, and to me, and ha, ha, ha. Hey, I got some, uh, I got some jokes for you. Hey, what do you do when your fish sings flat? Does this happen to you? You tuna fish. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, well, uh, hey, did you hear about the uh, the two dead brothers and how they did in school? You know, they, they were rivals. They were really, really competing with each other. They, they, were, they were just neck and neck. And you want to know what happened to them? They were dead even. Is there, is there a gas leak in here? Is there helium? What? Oh, oh I've, I've got this one. This will knock you dead. Knock, knock. Otto. Um, <laughs> Otto who? I don't know. I've got amnesia. Okay, well, that has been my time. <laughs> so I got number five for the end with extra pickles? <laughs> extra pickles and cheese? What? <laughs> I gotta get out of here. I don't know, man. It is pretty abrasive. Like, it's hard. <laughs> this whole thing's hard. I tried watching it, and then I was like, no. And then I tried looking up his old stand-up, and I was like, no. And then I tried looking at his new stuff, and he was like, no, it's all bad. Yet stand-up? Howie Mandel? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you can call it that. I mean, he was standing. It, the 80s was a different you time for comedy. You could call it that. Yeah. You could. They would have you could. at the time. It wouldn't be impossible. Yeah, these these were the days where uh, you know, uh, dark joke that I don't want to make. Very good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. uh, yeah, I, honestly, I just focused pretty hard on the uh, on the voice there because mm-hmm. it uh, apparently Howie Mandel came up with Bobby's voice when he was choking on a piece of cake one time. Yep, yep, that tracks. Which, which is, <laughs> Which, yep, that's about, that's the right voice for choke cake. And his friends, joke. who and he just happened to have friends in the, the, the new, like, kids broadcasting segments at Fox, and they're like, you want to do a kid show? He's like, yes, okay, fine, yeah, sure. Yes, like, I guess I'm done, huh? I guess I'm done being a relevant player. <laughs> I'll see you in a few years when I shave my head. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, hello, everyone. My name is Ben. My name is Zane. And this is the Carton Cast, the show where we review old cartoons to see what we think of them as adults. Ah! And forget, oh boy, yeah, that's a that's a that, that's Bobcat Goldthwait. I don't know, you're not doing Bobby. That's no, a no, like that's a different Bob. This was this was his this was his standout comedy bit. Like he would end every segment by blowing the the rubber glove over his head, and he would start every segment by just screaming, and the audience would scream back, and he would do that a few times. So today we're talking about Bobby's world, and that's apparently voiced, the, the, the titular character of Bobby is voiced by a helium-fueled Howie Mandel. Zane, you watched his stand-up? Tell me about that. It was just like, it was like in the intro, like, just very basic pun humor or weird stuff, and he was just the most, he had the most awkward energy of any comedian I've seen, where like, I don't know if that was intentional, um... He was just, he was just, and I'm sure he's a, I'm sure he's a lovely man, but like, I, I, I didn't get anything out of him at all. 
Yeah, um Yeah, he acts a, he acts a lot like you. Like like one of his <laughs> one of his stand up jokes, and this went on for like thirty seconds, is he was like, uh, I uh I I Juan I Juan to I want to, I want to, and the audience is losing it. And he does that for 30 seconds. And he says, I want to uh, talk better. And this isn't like a character in context. Like there was no lead in. There's no lead out. Yeah, it's not a Borat. It's just a funny joke that he thought would would land. <laughs> like Zane, there's no this... connective tissue here. Yeah, that's that's almost, that, Zane, that's, that, that's some Zane-ass energy <laughs> stand-up kind of stuff right there. I mean, look, I don't want to well, diminish the... your... No, that's your... the thing. The the type of humor and the type of, uh, uh, you know, active, funny energy at a party with like, hey, oh my God, my buddy, my uncle, he's the funniest, wacky guy, you're going to love him. Different energy than a stand-up comic should have, right? Like... <laughs> they both, I mean, they both have to be drunk. Yeah, I mean, alcohol least. is involved. Yeah, I, well, I think it has he's, to be for comedy to come out. Like Nothing's most comedians in the 80s, sentence. I'm sure there was a lot of cocaine. I mean, I, I I hope that was the reason. Yeah. You know? Like, if that was just au natural, if that was Howie Mandel uncoked, <laughs> you know, unplugged <laughs> but uncoked, then uh, that, that's a, that that bespeaks a deeper problem, a deeper sadness, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but we are talking about Bobby's World today. Yes. Which, so, um... the reason I chose this show was because I had vague memories of it from childhood, and I wanted to go back and take a look at it. Uh, Zane, want to give us the production? Yeah, uh, so Bobby's World ran on Fox Kids from 1990 to 1998 for a criminal seven seasons. That's uh, a lot. It was originally titled The World According to Bobby, and as we said, it was created by comedian Howie Mandel, who voiced the young boy titular character, as well as his father, who is just a, a person with a mullet. And Well, he started out with a mullet, but it eventually became like this... Uh, Boy Meets World, uh, curly, curly, not quite Afro. Yeah, so, like, this was all, you know, we've seen the, the brainchild of comedians before. You know, Life with Louie is, is our classic example. Mm-hmm. But that show had a, uh, you know, it had a point, it had a pathos, the humor came from somewhere deeper. This just felt like very manic surface level energy that just persisted. I think it's interesting. You seem to come to this show from the perspective of this is the work of a comedian, and I don't like the comedian, and I can see a lot of his comedy within the show, and and I that's a valid perspective to come to it from. I sort of thought of this as a um, as an exploration of a child's mind, like the I went the psychological approach. See, I actually and, yeah. Uh, you you actually have it backwards where i came oh. to the show as a blank slate and watched it and said there is so little here let's see what else i can dig into and i found that it just just kept going <laughs> that's interesting um you know not to bury the lead i liked this show what <laughs> I, think I cannot imagine pretty... liking this show i think this is pretty good i don't I mean... understand you well, I'm trying to explain it, but you're but you're I Uncle Ted on me. No, you're trying to make me grow and learn. I refuse. <laughs> well, it, it, I was so I came to this and I I immediately picked up some Calvin and Hobbes vibes, not the least yes. of which is because the proportions yes. of the character, uh, feet notwithstanding, um, certainly not standing. Like that thing would topple over like crazy. He's yeah. a bobblehead. But um, I I I came to it kind of thinking, this this has some real Rugrats feel. Mm-hmm. In, in its plot construction, because the basics of the plot, 
is that it's pretty similar to Rugrats in that the family does something, Bobby is dragged along for it and creates a world of his own making to make it more interesting. Mm -hmm. What I found was really engaging was I thought that they really captured the kind of manic, imaginative spirit of a child unmoored. Yeah, they do. Um, To me, it felt much more surface level than anything that I could take a psychological look at, but we can get into that. Yeah, um, I will that's also definitely, mention... That's definitely what they were going for. Yeah, I, I I found that on that metric they succeeded, and that's the metric I came to it on, so this actually worked for me. But um, I'm interested to hear your point of view as well. The reason I originally picked it out, you and I both kind of grew up in the Power Rangers uh, Saturday morning block kind of thing, Fox Kids deal, and this was one of the many commercials that didn't really didn't really hook me to want to watch the show because I think it was a little too kiddie for me at that age. Mm-hmm. But I do remember a lot of, like, the interstitial jokes in the commercials. Like, uh, you know, Bobby saying, Mars, I was supposed to go to Grandma's. Or whatever his Skeeter voice kind of said. <laughs> right, yeah. In those, in those commercials. Um, but I also remember the theme song surprisingly well. well this theme, theme song, song was created by John Tesh, somebody yeah. who toured with Yanni. John Tesh is actually a very uh, accomplished songwriter. Yeah, I know, but like, I was just fascinated by the fact that Yanni toured. That that was the thing that I. (laughs) You're telling me this energy gets around? (laughs) Yeah, more than just his own family are into this. Zane, tell me about John Tesh because I don't know much about music havers and music makers. So John Tesh, um, you know, he he also kind of rose to prominence during this early '90s, uh, late '80s era. Um, I mostly know him from his CD Live at the Red Rocks. Uh, he did the kind of intro yeah, music yeah. to some of those sports uh, sports center kind of stuff. So like, uh, mm-hmm. oh, let's clip, let's clip in round ball rock here and just <laughs> just move on. I don't know. I've got his CD. It's it's very good. I think that Howie Mandel was also part of that somehow. I I I don't know what the intersection is, but sure, I I assume that they intersected. I, I looked up their Wikipedia pages, and their names both appeared in tandem multiple times to the point at which it felt like a, um, uh, what's it called? Like a Johnny... Sherlock Holmes Moriarty thing? No, more like a um, uh, Corpse Bride. Who was that? Tim Tim Burton, uh, Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp kind of partnership. Maybe. <laughs> where they like lived in each other's cars and stuff. I don't want to read too much into it. <laughs> oh, I want to read too much into it. But the, yeah, the theme song's excellent. Um, I don't even feel the need to have at the Cartoni Awards a like best intro to worst show thing because this one just immediately wins it. This is definitely a great intro. Um, we can front load it if you want to. Sure. Because like it is very Inspector Gadget in that it's our point of view reference character. He is uh, maybe not larger than life, but definitely in a world of his own. He, he is sort of a a personality around which be- reality bends, aka mm-hmm. a cousin Skeeter, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but but it's more personal than that. He so he's on his tricycle, and he's going through different um, imaginative scenarios. Like he knocks over a bunch of toys, and now he's in outer space. And now he's I, I remember so clearly the vantage point of him climbing upstairs while on a tricycle with that mm-hmm. like adorable little bopping, bouncing kind of animation yeah, to yeah. it. While all of the cat, all of the extended cast, kind of walk in front of him, interacting with him, but not getting in his way. Like he is yes. in control 
of this world that he's driving this tricycle through. The, it's the, a very good visual metaphor for his vantage point. And it synchronizes with the music quite well. Yeah, the, this intro shows you what the show is supposed to be about. What it's capable basically. of. Um, yeah. So, like, he's riding his tricycle, he's in the kitchen, and he, he goes through and the plates fall, or his mom, like, drops them. And the plates falling in air turn into flying saucers. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And then through space. And then he's in a submarine. And he's going up through the water. And that turns into him on a tricycle going through the hallway. And all of a sudden, it's a Shining reference. Yeah. And it's, like, it's a good time. And the the actual like cuts to imagination in this show felt so much more shallow than this. What do you mean Which the sort cuts? Of, we just sort of dipped, you know, we, when, when we go from the real world into his imagination, the same way that we saw in like a Doug, mm-hmm. um, it was so much more shallow where you just dip in, you dip out, the, the, you, you don't really spend much time there and it doesn't matter much. Yeah, he doesn't really have the fully fleshed out personas of some of the deeper Doug things like Quail Man or Wanna Nod Jack Bandit. Mm-hmm. Or anything like that. Like those are very well fleshed out personalities. One might also, one might even say, personality disorders of our main titular character, <laughs> let, Doug. Let me let me explain what I what I'm talking about. What what how this uh, occurs in the show? Where sure. Uh, let's say he's doing an obstacle course, right? That's that's the premise, and he's doing the ropes, right? He's gonna jump into the ropes. And he jumps into it like it's a Tarzan sequence, and now it is a Tarzan sequence. He's on the ro- he's on the vines, and instead of people watching him, animals are watching him. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And then we jump back to the obstacle course. Sure. But but that's it. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't go very deep. What I would suggest is that you're missing kind of a critical piece of what made this maybe believable, maybe engaging. I'm not sure what the right word is, but it made it appealing to me, which is that I thought it really well captured this notion of child focus. Yeah. Do you know that kind of focus that children have where they they focus on something more than, like, the deepest religious scholars? They just have, like, this one-track, mm-hmm. thousand-yard... They the world no longer exists other than the thing that they are focusing on. They're building a block tower. That's the only thing in the world. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very solipsistic to a certain degree. Is that well, things don't children. exist until they intrude upon them? Yeah, but they're one step often... removed from object permanence. Yes. Well, exact. I mean, how often do you see that like expressed? You know, in a in a in yeah. a in a children's show. I, I, I think mean, you're right. That's why I think that... it's very similar to Rugrats. Is because Rugrats, Calvin and Hobbes, yeah, yeah, they they really sink into the role, and then real life intersects with them, and they are forcibly pulled from that imagination sub- imagination zone. Sure, but I thought that yeah, was I, like I, relatively well uh, well observed. I I it may have been well observed. I didn't consider it a strength because I didn't care about that particular part of it i guess oh like, i focused on super hard yeah th- th- like that's the be all end all of like, the show to me showing me what a child sees and experiences is perhaps an interesting art piece but it doesn't rise to the level of entertainment <laughs> i think it does rise to the level of entertainment in that um you know it, it, it has that frenetic child energy that would hold the attention of a child and it would also it also has kind of an adult tone of self-reflection to it of like these caricatures of what adults are and how they talk like especially the mom and dad i got a lot of that i got a lot out of their sort of just nattering in the background yeah yeah it, 
there seemed to be a few things that were either unscripted or like not said the way that you would record a thing. It's just like a side, like, <laughs> oh yeah, and you know this thing, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't know what it is about it. A lot of Howie Mandel grumbling going on in the show. Yep. It's kind of funny. Like, he got um, the opportunity. Like, he had to say scripted lines. Bobby is the focus. You can't just ad-lib your focal character to that degree and expect it to fly. But a background character, it's almost like he had had in the show a way to blow off steam. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Where he could kind of just do his ad-libbing and and, stand-up. So I have an example of this where, um, actually an example of the child focus where Bobby is so excited for his birthday that he thinks it's his birthday even though it's tomorrow. And he uh, brings his friends and intrudes upon like his uh, dad and his pregnant mother, you know, they're they're doing some breathing exercises and she's like, oh, I think the baby's coming and like they have to deal with it. And he's like, Dad, what about my birthday? Like, no, 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 your son, your birthday is tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just having to explain it to a child. <laughs> um, but the dad, you know, when when he realizes like, oh, we have to go to the hospital, freaks out. And Howie Mandel is just like ad-libbing like, okay, uh, Kelly, go get the keys. No, Derek, get the keys. Kelly, get the mom's overnight bag no the keys and and he just does this for like 20 seconds where he's not saying anything he's just like exhibiting nervous energy (laughs) i think that's awesome honestly like the fact that two characters played by the same actor one of whom is like very deliberate and very focused on what he's doing and it's all complete there's there's no there's no utility behind it it's all in a made-up reality that can't really uh comment on what actually is going on in the plot Mm-hmm. And then the ad libbing, like he, this is a, this is a real nervous dad. <laughs> yeah, well, this is what Howie Mandel is like. <laughs> yeah, it's just Howie Mandel <laughs> right there on the page. I don't know. A lot of that ad libbing, I thought was like, uh, again, I think the contrast is uh, is really what makes that a well observed kind of piece of real life comedy. You, you know, in the hmm. manner that eighties stand up comedian dads would just like say what their lives were like, and that'd be maybe good enough for. Yeah, I guess guess I didn't see it that way. I felt it was more like the unfocused and unpolished nature of it was unfunny enough where it felt like they just didn't try hard enough rather than like, oh, we're capturing something real. Um, It Hmm. just, it just, um, I could never see like, hey, we're doing this or we're setting this up, like to what end? There never seemed to be a point in mind. I'll, I'll grant you that there's no point in this show. <laughs> it is uh, the the backdrop is a day in the life kind of family sitcom full house sort of situation, uh, and the foreground is the um, the fever dream of a child what is raised by television. Yeah. So so there's no there is no point. Um, but I I did find the contrast pretty engaging for the most part. Um, and w- with that in mind, I guess we can talk about uh, the titular character of Baba. And Baba. Baba. So yeah, voice was reportedly created when Howie was choking on a piece of cake, which gives me confusion and fear of the state of this fellow's larynx at this point. Howie seems like the kind of guy who would choke on cake for a bit and then just kind of get used to doing that all the time. Well, I'm kind of wondering like what this does to his voice. Um, he, because uh, he. Um, you know, there's those metal screamers who, if you don't sing in the right way for, like, a metal band, you're uh-huh. going to kill your larynx. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Howie himself, like, he did the um, blowing a rubber glove up over his nose. Uh, that was after, him? Yeah, after years of that, you know, he perforated his sinuses, like... Is that true? Yeah, the doctor was like, one, 
Stop. How did this this. happen? Two, why are you doing this? (laughs) Explain this to me like I'm not on cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) That was a preface that doctors needed to give back then. (laughs) Yeah, to let them know that they were officials now. (laughs) That was the assumption, the standard. This ain't the Um, 1870s anymore. (laughs) So yeah, what did you think of Bobby in terms of just like, I don't know. Uh, g- give me your give me your read of Bobby as a child stand-in slash joke machine. What 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 does he give you? I will admit that he is a child. Where like yes, a four year old can ho- occasionally be hilarious, but not for the reasons that they think. Um, and like oh yeah, he can be cute or he can be interesting or he can be insightful, but it never seemed to be the things he was going for. Like I didn't laugh at Bobby. Bobby to me just seemed like we need a small child to putter through the world and have flights of fancy. And none of that appealed to me. So I, I, I didn't get a whole lot from him. I think I get the most from him when he is doing something that is like with his a hundred percent focus. And it is put into contrast by when the real world intersects with him. So like when he develops a plan to go get cookies from the cookie jar and he like, you know, maps it out like a heist and he creates like this disguise or something and then the real world kind of intersects is like, Bobby, don't don't take cookies from the cookie jar. Oh, look at how cute he is. He's wearing pantyhose on his head. And he's still got like that determined, I am a criminal on the run face. Yeah, yeah. He's like, well, how did you know it was me? <laughs> that's I mean, that's just very funny to me. There is a realness to it. And the faces he makes to like get into character are endearing. This is jumping characters a bit, but another moment of realness in the same scene where, like, the dad takes out the camera and starts, like, trying to take a picture of mm-hmm. Bobby with the pantyhose on his head. And before he takes the picture, the mom just comes over and unscrews the lens cap for him. because, yeah. And that's consistent. I saw that happen mul- in multiple episodes. It's just, it's so well-observed. Such a well-observed, cozy kind of family moment i think the reason that those fell flat for me is because i thought they wanted that to be a joke rather than like a fun observation like uh i i agree with you like the calvin and Hobbes angle of it but it felt like it, it felt like comic strip humor or like popsicle stick humor without the heart required for me to engage with it on that level hmm yeah, I, I guess I was comparing this to Rugrats a lot, wherein I thought I thought that the uh, the real life intersecting with the Rugrats characters was also kind of a cartoonish uh, embellishment. Uh huh. This this just felt more grounded, and I th- feel like that pushed the contrast farther. Like, um, you know, in in one of the Rugrats episodes, the the, the football one, probably the best episode. Yeah, with the uh, bottle of chocolate milk. Don't quote me on that. Right, but, like, all the dads are, like, zonked out, you know, uh, football addicts for the sure. entire time, um, you know, obsessive about food, obsessive about watching football, to the point at which they are also kind of caricatures. Yes. But these parents are kind of just parents. They're arguing in the car. They're, you know, talking about um, how to make it so that Bobby doesn't get nightmares. They're, they're just t- kind of doing parent stuff. Like, Stu Pickles was never a person, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, he had, I, he had I a agree. Rube Goldberg machine <laughs> in his basement. <laughs> like, wait, is that, what a, is that what a toy machine is? He, it's he a was Rube a, Goldberg machine? He was a large child playing the part of an adult. Yeah, I agree. Yes. Um, right. But Howie I, Mandel actually is a dad. 
I think they went too sense. far in the other direction where, yeah, they're, they're people, but there's nothing engaging there. Um, like uh, again, the, I think the engagement comes from the contrast to Bobby's single-minded uh But at the same time, land. they're too, like, one note for me to engage with them as people. Like, Bobby's mom is literally an 80s SNL character that was adapted into this role where it's just, she's Midwestern. Minnesota. And yeah. that's the joke. Or, like... His, de- his his uncle Ted, who is just Rodney Dangerfield, and like, oh, he's a slob and he's gross. Like, it, it, there's not enough reality for me to engage with them on a uh, heartwarming level, and there's not enough fun character traits for me to engage with it on a humor level. They really left me flat. This has a hundred million percent more heartwarming moments than anything like a sitcom of the same era. That feels forced. Oh yeah, you you know like. Like Full House or Family Matters, or or even Fresh Prince to a similar, not exactly the same degree. That would also help because it had uh, it had the Carlton dance. But, <laughs> you know that aside. You know there are these kind of forced uh, Oscar Beatty sort of moments. Oh yeah. Uh, in in those sitcom shows, and this just maybe it's because the moments that they did feel less forced in comparison to those sitcom things. I guess I'll agree that it's more forced than it needs to be it it felt canned yeah it's canned i think maybe i give some allowance for it because it's a cartoon so everything feels sort of canned Mm -hmm. it didn't feel as bad as an 80s sitcom but that's putting the bar pretty low i'll admit sure um i I did want to talk about bobby in one particular way just because it's a thought that occurred to me yeah so like the nature of escapism prominent in children but we don't really associate them with escapist fantasy in the same way that we would for, like, I don't know, like, somebody who's seen too much, I guess. The, <laughs> like, the, the difference is the awareness. Like, a child engaging with this made-up world in his mind doesn't necessarily... He's doing it because he doesn't understand the difference between imagination and reality. It's escapism when you, you're aware of it. I suppose that... Well, I mean, like, I don't know if I'd... I don't know if awareness necessarily factors into, like, I mean, to, to get a little bit dark and real here, like a, a prisoner of war or something kind of like making a world of their own so that they can escape the horrors of uh, whatever situation they're going through. You could probably make an argument, as kind of gauche as this is turning out to be, that uh, Bobby is trying to escape a world of mundanity because his family strikes him as so boring that he needs to make something better or, or more engaging for a toddler. I, I can believe that, although, you know, they don't I seem, understand I'm stretching it. They don't <laughs> do. seem different than any other family. It just feels very um I don't I don't know. It just feels very like uh bland and, and dull and like yeah, kid, you're escaping from normalcy, but like so are we. Like you know, just like <laughs> like do something else. Huh. Watching Maybe somebody else something... escape is not that engaging to me. Hmm. I it kinda is to me. Um, I, I think I like seeing escapism as like escapism from security as opposed to like escapism from horror. Mm-hmm. Like that's just a nice twist on that. And I, I had never made the connection that what children are doing essentially is escapist fantasy when they, when they make up these, you know, uh, imagination stuff. But, but that's the thing. I don't think that they're trying to escape from mundanity. I think they are trying to, they're just engaging with the world that they see, you know, like, do, can mm. you think back to when you were a kid and like, oh, man, that staircase is feels so large. It feels like a mountain. You can see yourself climbing the mountain. You're not doing it because like, 
oh, this would be so much cooler. It's like this. There's a. It feels real to you. That's an interesting point. I mean, maybe it's a little bit technical and. Um, uh, That's an overstatement. No, no, no. What, what, what am I, what am I thinking of? Uh, the thing where you're arguing the definitions of words. Pedantic. Nope. No, no, specifically, Prescriptivist. what? Prescriptivist? Mm-mm. Where, where you're arguing, like... Semantic. Semantic, yeah, that might be that might be more semantics than anything else, but uh. the the notion of, es- like, not escaping from the real world, but, like, maybe it's that he is... This is real fucking Plato's Forms philosophy bullshit right here. Maybe he's sort of seeing a version of reality that we, as we mature, kind of lose touch with. Yes, uh, yeah. Um, Which I don't hate. Like, I like something about Bobby's naive innocence does get me. Mm -hmm. Like, the idea, the, the, the way he, you know, roughhousing with his uncle, feeling like a professional wrestling match, and him being able to create, in his mind's eye, a crowd of cheering fans... Mm -hmm. And like judges and all that stuff. Why would we not want that capacity? Like that's a that's a. If you think about like I don't know if you you've ever tried to LARP before. That's an amazing investiture of creative energy, and it mm-hmm. comes naturally to him. Like I'm kind of jealous. Yeah, I mean he's a, he's a child. Yeah, but like why? Why? I mean, like, I, I guess this is just like the 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 notion of maturity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to be a kid again? I got it. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to be a kid again. I like being able to wipe my own ass and all that. But, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just I think it is a it is a it is a valuable skill that we are some for some reason we're very okay with uh, abandoning after a certain point. And I, I guess I just think that's a shame in the broader scheme of things. Yeah, maybe I, it's just 2020 that's making me wistful for pretending that things aren't the way that they are. No, I still just think that kids are too young and dumb to know the difference between fantasy and reality. You know, like, you know, the put, oh, I'm going to put a, uh, a blanket <laughs> around my neck and jump off the house because I'm Superman. Like, they, they don't know. They're fragile. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what's going on down there? I'm having a party with, uh, with, with, with Dr. Seuss and, and, and the Hundred Acre Woods. You're, you're young and dumb. You're naive and innocent. <laughs> You don't know any of the pain of the world, and so I discount you. Yeah, exactly. But here's the thing. Okay, I, I accept that. Um, all right, Howie Mandel wanted to. Uh, some part of him is still connected with this fantasy world of youth, and that's just how his brain is wired. Fine, and he makes this show to share it with other people, and he can delineate that part of himself uh, and and engage with it on his terms. Cool. How do you make it engaging? How do you make it interesting for an outsider? Because it's it's kind of like telling somebody about your dream. Like, yeah, it was really real and engaging to you to live first person in this magical world. But to show it to somebody else is not that interesting. And that's well, how I felt. I felt like I was watching somebody's dream. Uh, I'll grant you that it has kind of that barrier of we can't see exactly how his mind works. So there is some translation. But it's not as bad as telling someone your dream because we can see it. This is why... Animation kind of brings it. I could almost argue that this show is the process of trying to describe a dream through animation. Okay. You know, like this is how Bobby sees the world. We can actually see it in the same way. There's less translation requirements there. Um, and it might just be a subjective. I It worked on me. Like I, I thought that 
like he the character became real because of how clearly I could see what he did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, and, and this is only one of the kinds of um, you know cuts that they go from reality to like a genre pastiche where it's like, oh, he's in the wild west now. He's riding on a horse. He's doing a shootout. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it really only lasts long enough for you to say like, okay, to him, this event is like being in a western. It's a little bit deeper than that. I think though the way they intercut reality with these, uh, j- just to kind of shift things up, they they intercut reality into these scenes in a mm-hmm. way that make me feel, I think, what they're going for. So like he'll be a fugitive on the run. And he'll be like running through a sewer or something. And all of a sudden he'll hear, get back here, Bobby. Um, and, you know, it, he'll look back and his mom is chasing him in the real world. Yes. Trying to give him a bath or something like that is the mindset of this child. It's real until reality asserts itself over his imagination. And yeah, I thought that that cut was really useful it's to only get me one, in his mind. It's one layer below consciousness. It's like, it's not in deep REM sleep. It's just like, I can, I'm holding on to this fantasy as long as I can. I'm being pulled out of it. I'm jumping into it. I don't necessarily have control over when it happens. And it does kind of keep you on your toes. Because you don't know, mm-hmm. like sometimes they do like the like bubble coming out of his head and like we're in a mental world now. But sometimes it doesn't and it catches you off guard. We're like, yeah, there, he's bouncing on the are... bed and suddenly he jumps through the roof and you're like, oh, I didn't realize we were going into this. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that that was a quick, the transitions, I think that is a really good point because in Doug, remember that you can probably hear it even now, the transition that you do yeah, whenever he does one of his kind of mm-hmm. imagination zones, which by the way, the fact that he's no longer a child and doing this, that says something about Doug. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you can probably hear the sound effect, the when yes. he does one of his kind of imagination things. Sometimes that happens with Bobby. Sometimes it is a clean cut. Mm-hmm. You know, the camera shifts and now he's in a different costume and he's like in the Wild West. Like, when did that happen? Yeah. Um, yeah, so Zane, I, I focused very hard on that aspect of it, of like, what does a child see and was deeply rewarded for it. I'm interested to see... I'm interested to hear, like, kind of why uh, this didn't land for you so hard. Because I'm assuming that that wasn't the forefront of where you were focusing. Let me give you an example of a scene. Sure. And I will describe the scene, and you can tell me why it might have hit you and why it didn't hit me. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're going to Aunt Ruth's house. And, First episode. Uh, and his mom says, hey, you have to leave one of your stuffed animals behind at home. Cut to, it's gone with the wind. And... He's dressed up as the guy from Gone with the Wind. uh, Sir, what doesn't give a damn? Yeah, Mr. Mustache himself. And his teddy bear is saying, you know, where will I go? What will I do? And he says, you know, frankly, my dear teddy bear, I don't give. And then like the car horn and he like breaks his reverie and goes back to the real world. Mm hmm. I don't get anything from that. I I recognize how he got in, how he got out, what they're doing with this. It didn't do anything for me. Like, when when we watched uh, Tiny Toon Adventures, they did the genre parody, or they go into the reference, and then they make jokes within there. This is just a played straight, here's a reference. So I I guess I'm kind of seeing this on two different fronts, one of which is the one I agree with you on, which is that uh, if you're going to make a reference... 
you got to have more to it than a single punchline. Like mm-hmm. the the startup costs are too great to simply make it and leave. Like at least have it inform something about the scene or about the characters or something like that. However, from a character centric perspective, I kind of really like that he has these snippets of real world references that he doesn't know how to intersperse with like his life like they just kind of come in and go out at random because like he probably saw a scene on tv there's and no way know the context. <laughs> there's no way even by cultural osmosis that this three-year-old knows gone with the wind i mean i don't know there's How absolutely no way i'm just look i'm just <laughs> like i don't know man like i don't think that that's the craziest thing you know your mom watching uh watching uh watching an old movie on tv and you come in and ask for a cookie or something and she's saying not now and yeah, yeah. You maybe catch a snippet of something mm-hmm. i i don't think that's the craziest thing <laughs> and it makes perfect sense that he has no context for it so the scene can't go any farther than the sentence sure look i understand that i'm reaching here no no I, I, i'm putting you in the in the position of having to defend this <laughs> <laughs> i i don't know i feel like it's pretty defensible Especially if you kind of focus on what would a child imbibe through osmosis, which I'll grant you it's a stretch, but he has better understanding of certain tropes than others. Yeah. And I, I think that that's really, I think, I think that's pretty cool. Let me, let me give you another example that worked on me a little bit better. Okay. Where his, his awful friend is showing Thank you him for giving around. me a break. <laughs> his awful friend is showing him around the house. Uh, he's like doing a sleepover. Oh, who's the awful friend? I don't know, but he looks terrible. <laughs> like, he's oh, got one the, of them inverted heads. Not the heads. girl with the Ben Stein voice? Uh, Gordon. Not the girl with the Ben Stein voice? No, I don't know what her deal is. Oh, yeah, it's some something something chemical. <laughs> Again, like, a character <laughs> whose actor is not, like, enunciating in a voice actor studio. It's just, like, they caught somebody out of the side of their voice. <laughs> like, can you just say a few words, honey? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um. But anyway, the kid says to Bobby, like, hey, that, that's my dad's room. You know, kids aren't allowed in there. Cut to Bobby's imagination where the furniture is transforming into monsters that eat Bobby. Sure. Common uh, child fear. Yeah, and that's, and that's the scene, right? Yeah. But, you know, it's fun to watch monsters, and it's interesting to see them attack him. Um, but it just, uh, again, it like... To me, it did not rise to the level of entertainment. It uh, th- this show just felt like a lot of filler. Let me describe for you a different scene uh, that kind of does one of these references, and I want to describe it in kind of how it could be appealing to the two demographics which might watch this. Because this is a kids show, clearly. Mm-hmm. I also think that it is a show that parents would enjoy watching as not a source of entertainment, but kind of a source of like. Oh, I get that reference. You know, there's a there's an entertainment value to be had in a well-made reference that doesn't actually say jokes, you know? Eh. So, uh, the scene that I'm thinking of is he's a fugitive, he's running through the sewers. It's actually a takeout from the movie The Fugitive. Sure. And for whatever reason, he is at the end of that sewer pipe. This is a famous scene where he says, I'm innocent. And then Tommy Lee Jones just says, I don't care. Right, um, but it's, it's played by the it's played by the part of that uh, dead-eyed little um, Ben Stein girl, which which is kind of funny that like somebody who has like no emotion to them is in this dramatic role. Sure. But uh, from Bobby's perspective, I imagine he saw that it had no context for it, so he's describing the scene in terms of somebody 
trying to run away from like getting a bath or something to that effect Mm -hmm. as opposed to murdering their wife Um, which i like that the high drama very brutal nature of the fugitive the only way that that translates to bobby is something very mundane and 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 tame Mm -hmm. um but from you know from the uh, from the so so from the point of view of the adult watching it i think you can see at least that kind of i i see a thing that is familiar to me and that's engaging as engaging as it needs to be for me to watch this with my child and then the child is just this is a kid enjoying himself in a fantasy which you know colors and lights there's only so much entertainment value that needs to be there yeah yeah so, like, I'll agree that it wasn't, like, a fantastic scene, but I thought it hit both the demographics well enough to be engaging. Not entertaining, necessarily, but engaging. I, I tried to view it as such, you know, and I feel like the hit rate was just too low. Like, as an adult watching that, like, okay, yeah, somebody running through the sewers as the fugitive versus just somebody running through the sewers as a generic, like, a running thing doesn't really matter to me like that doesn't uh Mm. that doesn't get me anywhere i'll grant you that i got a lot of mileage out of wondering how bobby picked that up okay you know like (laughs) you were were doing a little extra legwork here yeah like was 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 derek trying to show him something that he wasn't ready for (laughs) did like his did uncle did uncle ted show him a bunch of racy movies that he didn't know how i've seen enough shows where they cut away to this type of thing to like references where I don't wonder, like, ludically, like, where, how are they doing this? Uh, but those how, are the stakes. How are they making these uh, connections? But those are the lines that the show is drawing. Mm-hmm. This is a show about a kid imagining a world uh, yes. in which he lives. And, like, you in, in order to do that, you have to pull from his experiences. So this isn't coming from nowhere for the kid. I don't know. Like, I agree. Generally, when Animaniacs makes a reference, you don't have to, like, discuss, well, how did Wacko know about, uh, you know, <laughs> Schindler's List? You know, that's not a thing that occurs. But um, but the, the, the show so clearly communicates this notion of kids dream the darndest things that I was, mm-hmm. I was drawn to answering that question. Gotcha. Yeah, I think when you have an animated child, like, the, that, that falls for me. Like, I can mm. definitely imagine, like, interacting with a real child and having them describe, like, their interpretation of this, like, R-rated movie they saw out of the corner of their eye. Like, that seems interesting. But an animated child that is created by this adult comedian whose comedy I can't engage with is a little too far for me to care about. Can I tell you one point of animation that I appreciated that helped me ground it? Yeah, sure. These people move like people. Simple These as that. Surprisingly fluid. Yeah, and and they don't do like the, you know, in a Tiny Toon Adventures, Buster would like, uh, I gotta get over there, and then you know his his legs would do the dry ice circulate thing, and he'd zip off screen. Mm-hmm. Bobby walks to places, climbs onto chairs. You know, he's he, the very deliberate movements of mundane reality helped ground this for me. Yeah, it doesn't behave like a cartoon a lot of the time. It behaves like a sitcom. Yeah, and that is supposed to heighten the difference between the fantastical and the regular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm starting to see why you bounce off of it so hard, and I'm just kind of thankful that I didn't come to it with that per- perception. And yeah. I don't know why I didn't. Well, I, uh, like I I don't know why our <laughs> our takes on this. I think we both see where the other person is coming from, and just didn't have that at the forefront when we watched it. 
It's also like I didn't see the difference between uh, uh, fantasy and reality. One, as inherently interesting, but two, um, like the episodes I saw, um, you know, the, the reality wasn't super reality. Like his friend's house that he went to, like his friend's family was super rich and they like... And his friend, like, turned evil immediately and, like, kept on, like, breaking the rules and blaming it on Bobby. And, like, overnight, Bobby accidentally tripped an alarm and the cops came. And then the owners of the house put the cop in a headlock and was about to hit them with a lamp. Like, it didn't feel real enough for the fantasy to hit me at all. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that that is a little bit beyond what I want from this. But I will say there was typically about one good joke per episode. Give me an example. So, uh, uh, like I said, when he was doing the obstacle course, right, he goes on the ropes and it's a Tarzan thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the animals are watching him and the announcer says as monkeys are holding up leaves with numbers on them and the, the, they're, they're, they're giving him a score. Ooh, it's a 10, it's a 10, and ooh, it's an eight and a half from the East German Jackal. That's pretty good. Like, that that's not bad. Or uh, in the first episode when um, uh, they get, you know, his dad gets pulled over by a cop. And Bobby is saying, like, hey, should I tell the cop what you're always what saying? What you really about, think of them? What, what, you, what you always say about them when they're not around? He says, why aren't they out catching cooks instead of harassing the working taxpayer? And then the cop just, like, gives it a hard thing. He's like, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Child of four. But, yeah, uh, it, but in general, there was just funny moments. But in general, I saw a lot more of um, this style of humor where there's a scene. Bobby is drying off his dog after a bath. And he says to the dog, don't shake, don't shake. And then the the dog shakes. Mm-hmm. I saw that much more. Yeah. It, it is, like, in order to make the, the contrast pop, you are uh, served an unfortunate dose of reality. I don't know if those are table stakes or whether they could have been done better, but um, there there is a lot of mundane to sell that contrast. I, I honestly didn't know what we were going to talk about today because there was so little that engaged me in this show i i just i just found it boring on all counts i i'll admit i only engaged it on the one thing which is like the child's point of view with regards to fantasy and reality mm-hmm. um but I, I found a lot of i found a lot of material to kind of support that found so i got whimsy. through it well not just that but like everything about the works kind of supports that uh that perspective for example the the family like let's let's talk about the family briefly i think you can make a good argument that they are caricatures of what a real family would be because they're we're we're seeing them kind of through bobby's eyes well they're based on real people right the creators were writers some of them from snl and they're like oh man i got this wacky uncle right but like they're not you know the 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 siblings uh you know what? Whatever, whatever their names are, Derek and and Shasta or whatever. Oh, okay. This this kid is uh, going through her teenage rebellion phase, and this kid's a little little snot knocker. Right. So, like that one. By the way, that kid's beady little eyes just creep the hell out this of me. This kid's a shitbird of the highest caliber. Yeah, uh, he's like a red herring. Yeah, Mars. he's real bad. Or um, that, but, or that uh, evil-looking kid from a Christmas story. You know the weasel oh. with the rat tail. The one that does the laugh? Yeah, I know what yeah, you're talking the, about. The jackal in human clothes. <laughs> Both of them are kind of caricatures in that, like, the one never stops talking about skateboarding. Mm-hmm. And, like, the other one is always on the phone with friends and yes. wants to go to the mall. I I'm saw sure that as a they'd weakness. say more than that. <laughs> oh, I saw that as a strength. Like, that is how a four-year-old would think of their siblings that are mm-hmm. much older. Like, of having 
interests that are decidedly less fun than fantasy world. Uh-huh. Like, uh... The, the the sister would say, I've got important plans for today. I was going to go hang out at the mall with my friends. Yeah. And that is both a caricature of that person. Like, I, I assume even a person at that point wouldn't make the argument that that's more important. Um, but it's also, like, a reflection on how Bobby would see her, her his sister's priorities of, like, these are not actually important things. You're silly for thinking that they are. Yeah, so you're, you're seeing this from the lens of this is how Bobby sees the world, and these people are characters until I decide that, oh, no, these are my family. I care about them, and we can be a family together. Whereas I was seeing it from the lens of Howie Mandel had a big part in creating this, and this feels a lot like, oh, the kids these days, they're always on their phone. You know how it is. Am I right? Am I right? Up top. <laughs> But it's it's not from that perspective because then we'd see a lot more dismissiveness of Bobby's behavior, and I feel like what it is in it is an indulgence of Bobby's behavior. Like I think we're meant to see Bobby's imaginativeness as a strength. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that we are meant to see it as engaging and fun. And if anything, I would say that the parents kind of constantly taking him down a peg and telling him not to not to be so in his own head or whatever. I feel like that is the I feel like those are the villains of the piece, almost. I didn't think they were admonishing him. I just think that they didn't understand where he was coming from. I mean, either or. The, the doesn't Isn't that kind of a similar point, though? Yeah. I, I mean, when, when, when the dad says, like, hey, we can't have, have your birthday right now. I, I, I can't really plan it because your mom is going into labor. Like, that to me is, like, totally reasonable. Gotcha, dad. <laughs> sure thing. This Bobby kid sure is being a, a real real pain in the ass. Yeah, um, I guess, and that's so. kind of the that, that that was the only level I could engage it on it on. I I I kind of see I, I I saw it a little bit more in terms of like caricature of real parents sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, parents just don't understand when they're going to Aunt Ruth's house, which is the episode we both watched since it was the first episode. Uh, they have like this little spat in the car that is just very well lived in kind of behavior. Like the, the sort of argument that doesn't go anywhere, but they have to say it anyway for peace of mind and for, for you know. Is to this get the their... one where he's like, if you kids don't knock it off, I'm going to turn this car around? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pull over. And, and, you know, Minnesota mom is like, yeah, you always say you're going to pull the car over, but you never do it. No, I'm going to do it this time. Oh, OK, then. No, see, that felt very forced to me because the instigating incident was like very low caliber. It was just like it wasn't even like a mom. This guy's touching me. It's just like. I don't remember what it was. Do you? No, it was it was pretty tame. But and I, then I his dad's like... just like blowing up at him. I'm like, dude, like rule of three, like wait until it escalates a little first. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I just um, I thought that it was uh, yeah. I mean, like I I can see it through that lens as well. I think that if you wanted to view it as this is uh his dad is always flying off the handle because of minor stuff i think that there is evidence there which is weird right because this this guy is supposed to be like the like cool chill dad who doesn't really have a handle on things so it was weird to see him as like firm taskmaster you know yelling with some force behind it i would argue that uh you know, Howie Mandel is self-aware enough that he probably recognized that he comes off that way to a to a child. Was he trying to like grapple with something about his own father the way Louis was? I, I there's probably evidence there. Cause I just don't I just don't know what. Yeah, I I'll grant you I didn't focus a ton on the mom and dad. I did like their antics though. Like I found their relationship extremely believable. The thing with the lens cap really was like, oh yeah, this is 
This is a pair of folk. It, it, it felt lived in, but I didn't find either of them particularly interesting. Like in the intro, uh, his dad's wearing a tie and he puts it around his forehead. And like, oh, his dad thinks that funny because his audience is children. Because he's, he's, <laughs> he's a father from the 50s where, uh, you know, doing the thumb trick was, was enough of a joke yeah, the to height, get you through old age. The height of magic. Where does thumb go? <laughs> where does thumb go? Probably in the same place as nose. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, he, he... Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to kind of... Um, it's kind of hard to tell which parts felt forced versus which parts were just, like, lived in a relationship because Howie Mandel is also a... a bit of a caricature in reality, almost. Yeah, there's... there's You know, that's got to be at least part of the way who of who he is, but it can't be all of it. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really have anything else to say about characters, though. I, I felt hmm. like it was a very full house ensemble kind of piece where we don't have extraneous figures unless we absolutely need to. Everything is pretty self-contained in the family, which I think is good. Oh, see, I saw the like the, the other kids as like, we put these in because we felt like a show had to have them as a sitcom, but we didn't really have anything for them to do. They definitely didn't. They might have. I I can even imagine that they felt extraneous. Um, it just didn't draw my focus enough for me to be bothered by them. Mm-hmm. Did you have anything else to say about characters? No, I feel like Uncle Ted merits some mention, but I don't have much to say about oh, him other shape? than like, you know, the size just, of his nose. He, he like just, he looks like a monster. I think it's. I think he's an important character because he is the one who buys in most fully with Bobby's fantasies. He's like, hmm. Uncle Jesse isn't quite correct, but like it's the same sort of role of like cool uncle that shouldn't be trusted. Yeah, definitely should be trusted. Yeah, don't, don't leave your kids with him. But great at parties. Great at parties, just yeah, not those kind of parties, Uncle Ted. He's not old enough. Yeah, I I don't know how much more than a merit. Like he gives someone, he gives Bobby someone to play with. Sure, at the very yeah. least. Which is which is important. I'll grant you that. Like you never see him playing with his dad. Like that's a that's like a level of familiarity that Howie Mandel is incapable yeah, of. Yeah, and you and you rarely see him interact with other children in a in a positive, fun way. Oh no, he's he's on a list somewhere. It's like, very one sided. No, 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 Look, he's, Bobby. He's not you don't actively see... a sex offender, but like he's been a disc- he's been told to keep his nose clean. No, you don't see Bobby interact with other kids that much. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant Uncle Ted. <laughs> no, I'm I'm quite done talking about Uncle Ted. <laughs> I've well, said he, all I need to. Bobby's young enough. He's not quite at the level. He's not quite at that age where talking to other kids happens. Yeah, the concept of like making friends isn't a thing at that age you're just like well this person's here and that's kind of it he occasionally interacts with like one other child but like i never thought of it more than a cul-de-sac sort of situation of just like this is the other child what can occupy their attention for 10 minutes while the grown-ups talk shop yeah like he like it's just a neighborhood kid yeah like there's a couple of kids in a uh, sandbox and he just jumps in and he's like you guys want to come to my birthday and they're like yeah okay and then do you want to do you want to all communicate like do you want to share all our communicable diseases in this sandbox i got chicken pox i got chicken pox for cold where who any takers i even brought my dog let's all lick his ears i mean like dog's ears are so tasty how could you not <laughs> you're thinking of pig's ears for dogs oh okay yeah helps their teeth yeah that just they do seem like they're enjoying biting those i mean like it's it's pure cartilage it's basically dog taffy 
Ooh, dog taffy. (laughs) Come on, get your dog, taffy. Because, like, peanut butter is a cruel joke to play on a dog, but ears. Do they know it's a cruel joke? Like, I feel like they enjoy it. No, absolutely not. We can't tell them either. The joke's on them, but they think it's real. (laughs) The joke is on them, but they think it's real. Yeah. Yeah, you said said it the way that it's phrased. (laughs) Oh, what else do you want to talk about? So, um... One thing that I, I I know I'm really talking about Bobby's perspective, but that's what I brought to this show. I just mm-hmm. wanted to shine a light on a different aspect of it, which is the notion that, like, sometimes it's not merely that we have to infer that he picks stuff up from the surroundings. Like, sometimes we see it. I saw an episode where he sees a play in which there is a big bad wolf. Mm-hmm. And then sees his aunt Ruth sick in bed with that kind of, you yeah. know, that gra- that aunt habit that uh, that aunts tend to wear when they're sick. The um, habit that they wear. Yeah, like the like the nun thing, but in bed, it's got like those curls and stuff. <laughs> You're telling me that aunts wear nun habits in bed yeah. when yeah. sick. That's what happens. Let's see what Google this, has to say about this, this topic. <laughs> That's what happens in this story that I'm crafting for you. It's like uh, it's like Muriel's hair, but it has like that little babushka over it. Maybe it's more of a grandma thing. Yeah, internet's not giving me anything. Well, not if you ask it in such a derisive tone of voice. <laughs> hey, Google, <laughs> get off your ass! And but in any case, he sees Aunt Ruth in bed with like vaguely similar attire to the wolf, sure. and just immediately assumes that in reality. She is the big bad wolf. That's the connection a child would make. Yeah. Yes. And and what I really love about that connection is that it really gets us in the mind of a child that, like, is connecting two things, doesn't recognize which one is fantasy and which one's reality, and doesn't bother doing a sweep for basic logic. It's dream yeah. logic. Yeah, and yeah. And, like, I really like that. I really like that it can be so well articulated right in front of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you you do have to pay attention to how children act to kind of see where those opportunities would come up. Yeah, yeah, it it doesn't come naturally to us anymore, so it requires kind of more setup than the kid needs. But, like, I thought it articulated that uh, that well enough that, like, I was game. Mm -hmm. One thing that I will say, it's been a while since I've seen a cartoon that needed so strongly to be an 11-minute cartoon. Yeah, it's really long. Doesn't need to be that long. long. I feel like they could have cut, like they, if if it was an 11 minute cartoon, they might have felt like they were allowed to cut any bit of dialogue that they ever came up with. Because it does feel stilted. I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't. I think that it is additive to the point of the work, which is Bobby's point of view, but it does feel real stilted. Uh-huh. So I think maybe an 11 minute runtime could have helped that. Yeah, I felt that as well, um, but, like, when that thought occurred to me, and I was pretty not interested in this cartoon, I was like, well, you know, what if it was, like, five minutes or no minutes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well uh, like, if we start cutting, we're never going to be able to stop. Like, but when I was like, oh, it should be 11 minutes, I started to wonder, like, maybe I just don't enjoy this show at all. Maybe it's fine as is, but to hear you say it, no, that I, I would agree. Yeah, I mean, like, I... To be frank, I think I enjoyed this more than I enjoyed a lot of Rugrats, uh, which isn't by 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 
isn't necessarily a isn't necessarily like a high metric anymore. Like I don't think that that would show would appeal to me now. Hmm. But it is very strong in my memory, and I think it's simply because I watched a lot of it. I, I, I bet this show stands up better. I think this show is among the worst I've watched. <laughs> like, wow, that's that's pretty that's pretty brutal. I I got nothing from it. I yeah. I really dreaded watching anymore. Let's talk about the animation. What did you think about like Bobby's costume changes? Um, you know, pretty straightforward. Like, I, I read Calvin and Hobbes. You know, oh, he's in Spaceman Spiff gear. Like, if Bobby's an astronaut, he's gonna look like an astronaut. That doesn't do much for me. Hmm. But yeah, he looks like an astronaut. I don't see why not. He looks like Indiana Jones. I think it just bolstered the whole we're seeing the world through the kids' eyes kind of thing. It it it, it bolstered the contrast that I was working with. So I I found it really uh, additive when Uncle Ted calls him a little trooper and he had a whole fantasy in which he is a state trooper and mm-hmm. looks like the guy from Reno Nine One One. Sure, like yeah. that that does a lot for me. Yeah. Like the it's all set up and like articulated well. And then we get like this cute little outfit on this on this real munchkin. Um and that just kinda kinda helped. See, to me that's not a plus. To me that's the bare minimum of do of having <laughs> that like, cutaway gags <laughs> of like That's the price of admission. Oh, my little trooper, and then he's just wearing the same thing. <laughs> Wouldn't work. You know, hearing it through your mouth, it is very basic. I don't know why it appealed to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even seeing it right now, hearing his uh, f- quite frankly, a, a, a brace of a little voice, but yeah. in, in that in that cute little costume, it is more than the sum of its parts to me, and I don't know if I can really yeah, describe small, why that is. A small child, assuming that by virtue of being called a real trooper, now has like the ability to pull cars over and like read them their Miranda rights, like that could be funny. <laughs> right. I, I mean, agree. Like, and the that's scenario kind of how it articulates. That's kind of how it articulates, and then he gives him a ticket, and it's tickets to the, the to the play that he's going to act in. Yeah, because he doesn't conceive of a other kind of ticket. Yeah, which I think that's funny. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, anyway. It it could be funny. So, so like, the problem of relying on pun stuff like that is you gotta put in some work to make it above the level of a popsicle joke, or like you know a joke that you tell to children. I like, know this is a, I know this is a cop out saying, but it is for children. Yeah, for for that, eight a, years that, it was that's for enough children. For them. That's enough for them. You don't need more. But yeah, like you just the, you just iterate the ticket or like, oh, he he's learning about baseball and he hears, oh, we're gonna have a baseball bat and he's thinking of bat bats because he's only ever heard of one kind of bat. Like that's the level we're dealing with, and you can see how he got there, but it's not engaging. Those are the dialogue jokes. Those are the actual writing jokes. Yes. What I found was more engaging were the animation jokes. Mm-hmm. So uh, the ma- imagination sequences, I think, are quite clear where the show actually pops off, like has potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when and, I watched the furniture turn into monsters, like, they looked cool. And, like, it's it's so tenuously related to reality in a way that a child would perceive of things. So the mom will say... We're in the middle of nowhere, no sign of civilization. And Bobby immediately imagines this color-shifted, blasted hellscape crawling with dinosaurs. Yeah. Where did the dinosaurs come from? <laughs> I don't know. A <laughs> like, natural extension the... of the blasted hellscape, absolutely. <laughs> but that's just the start. The dinosaurs are all doing some real wacky r- routines. Like, one of them rides a tricycle into a tar pit. Another two of them are boxing, complete with boxing shorts. 
and there's a caveman nearby singing Inagata Devita. He picked up all this stuff from disparate sources, and it's just all coming together at once. Yeah, yeah. And that is funny on its own. It's especially funny if we, like, try to imagine how the kid cooked this up, and, like, what were the disparate influences that led to Inagata Devita being sung by a caveman? I'm, I'm glad that you could, you know, build your own adventure with this, but to me, you know, hearing a caveman, like, stumble through some words and then it turns into Inagata Devita is not in itself entertaining to me. Like, no. Once no, I realized that he was a- making the joke, I'm like... I got to listen through this whole verse before the joke can end and I can move on. I I understand. Well, it's not funny by itself. I think it's the context of a kid doesn't know where to put this. That kind of gave gave it the humor for me. Yeah, there was like, why are there dinosaurs? Why are they in boxing shorts? I don't know. (laughs) He doesn't know either. Yeah, the dream logic. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I did like one time when like they were having a pillow fight and the concept of a fight or a confrontation there's no subtlety in Bobby's mind. There's no room for levels of that. For So every fight is the same kind of fight where, yes, they're using pillows and pies to fight each other, but it's like him and Ted behind a bunker. <laughs> and Firing from cover. And the enemies are his brother and sister, but they're in like these auto mech suits that shoot pies out of cannons. So like... Yeah, that's great. Like the combination... Yeah, that's anachronistic in a silly way. That's still, like, he would have seen, like, I'm sure Uncle Ted made him watch Glory or something. Sure. (laughs) He watched Save It Private Ryan with him one time when his parents were at the movies. Yeah, and just a UFC fight throw in there as well. (laughs) But, uh, Yeah, yeah. So, like, I think the animation sequences where it's not limited to a single source of, you know, where did he get this from? When they, I think those are really funny. When they stretch beyond the, oh, we're doing a genre pastiche or, oh, we're doing a Gone with the Wind reference, like, when they can get wild and dreamlike with it, that is when it when it excels. When, it, when it's not merely a reference, when mm-hmm. it's like a whole scene. And also, I think it might just be where animators are kind of given the reins, like, make some make some dumb stuff happen. Yeah, yeah. could you uh, throw in some bullshit? Can yeah. I? <laughs> Star Wars, you you say. <laughs> I could make a reference. Yeah. I could eat. Um uh, in one in, in one kind of like it, this is just a different uh mm-hmm. different scenario in which it happens, but uh when he's having you know this fantasy of saving his sister from the big bad wolf since she's in a play, he like jumps into the cavern with like this kind of uh man's man muscle outfit. Um, and tries to save her, his sister from the big bad wolf. The big mm-hmm. bad wolf immediately dons the outfit of Freddy Krueger. <laughs> and, and they, like, go outside, and there is an Arnold Schwarzenegger giant who's trying to get Jack from the... Uh, or Johnny from The Shining, who is playing the role of Jack from Jack and the Beanstalk. Like, it's just a mishmash <laughs> of nonsense. What is going on? <laughs> it's just a mash of nonsense from, like, every fairy tale he's ever imbibed. Also, Jack and the Beanstalk. <laughs> I really like his sound. Jack and the Beanstrong. That's um, the strongest stock. Yeah, I, I can definitely see it. It just didn't happen very frequently. Uh, I'll grant you, it could have happened more often. I think that those moments really lifted up, though. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the other aspects of the animation, like the way these characters look, um, you know, most of his family looks like normal people. He looks like a bobblehead. And then there's like monstrosities. Like Uncle Ted is not of this earth. His uh, nose and, like, he's got the same head proportions as Gerald from Hey Arnold. Mm-hmm. 
looking it's the sphere with like the little soup can thing on top looking at characters from the side it's okay looking at them dead on whoa something something's wrong (laughs) yeah that that's a bad angle it's like when you ask a kid to draw a nose and you're like okay i have no sense of perspective i need to show both sides of the nose and in the nose and on top of the nose and it takes up half the face it's got to be picasso now yeah 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 it's it i mean like they're 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 cartoon characters you know they're pretty simplified so it didn't really bother me so much like i like that if there's going to be a homunculus among the bunch it's probably uncle ted (laughs) the thing that stuck out to me was bobby's feet gigantic they're inflato feet like um it's a very i don't know if this it's a mickey mouse design almost with like you got a sticky body you got big glove hands big you know big uh big rocking feet and and a gigantic head and uh, that's kind of it. Maybe like a little, maybe a little gut. Maybe a little like Mega Man gut in there for good measure. But yeah, he's got like a midriff and a and a belly because he's like four. Yeah, he. Uh, there was one time where I, uh, where he was doing like a a, a baseball kind of thing where he was Bobby Ruth or something mm-hmm. like that. Sure. Um, and uh, oh man, this is another good point of like anachronism where like the the neighborhood Ben Stein dead soulless eye kid is is pitching to him. Um, and he, he throws the bat away and she rolls a bowling ball and he just kicks it out of the baseball <laughs> diamond, but he's dressed like Babe Ruth for the whole thing and still has the midriff and he's like real fat and dumpy like, like baseball players used to have to be. Yeah. 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 Cause otherwise they just get, they would get drafted. <laughs> I mean, like that, that's the subtext <laughs> in, in reality. That's an excuse. Yeah, um, I, yeah, yeah, sometimes I, I see good. what you're saying. I see where you're coming from. I think that the the moments that lifted up of like this is the mind of a child really those were enough to hook me that I was able to forgive a whole hell of a lot. But hearing you say it, I recognize that there's like a lot of uh there's a lot of detritus. I think you do need to go into it with that mindset. If you're going into it as like I have to watch this show <laughs> uh, and find something to talk about, and I've seen this done elsewhere. So now, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'll I'll grant you, I'll grant yeah. you that. I'm I'm glad that you were able to get something out of it. No, I think it's actually quite good if you come in with that mindset. I would almost caution you not to be too dismissive of it if you ever need like a show to watch with a child, because it's like, well, Ben, I, I have Dino hits... Trucks. <laughs> I think oh, it's way better than Dino Trucks. <laughs> um, I think it hits that, you know, I, I was I was with a child recently in which I had to be, like, you know, on vaguely around them while they were, like, doing their own thing because, like, it's like, hey, watch this kid for a minute. And they were watching Sesame Street. And I was, like, watching them watching Sesame Street, and they had more focus than, like, mm-hmm. than, than, you know, um, like, a, a religious scholar. They, like, had more focus than somebody like pursuing the depths of mathematic insights (laughs) right just like completely dead to the world and there wasn't much going on there you know it's almost shimmying and shaking and talking about the letter r you know it wasn't much um so i'm kind of approaching a lot of kids programming with that kind of uh the can advantage point like is this good enough to hook the kids attention yeah this is pretty you might not have you it's a lot of it stilted but it's very it's varied. It moves 
not fast, but it moves enough during an episode such that there's always something happening. Mm-hmm. Even if those disparate elements aren't really helpful. Um, and if you come into it with the right mindset, it can also be engaging for somebody older to watch with a small child. Yeah, I guess I can't put myself in that headspace that much. But when I was watching it, I had to like remind myself, okay, this is this is for a child. But I couldn't see the in for an adult. Yeah, I, I think it, you do have to give it that whole, uh, if I have to be watching it, I might as well be looking for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. looking for, how does, a, how does a child perceive the world around him? Definitely. I mean, I was primed for it from Calvin and Hobbes. It was very easy for me to do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, can we talk about the voice acting real quick? Uh, yeah, I guess. Because, <laughs> like, this is definitely pretty weak. Like, yeah. It's just... I think the adults feel correct. I think Howie Mandel and like, I think that that's a good dad voice because it's just Howie Mandel. Yeah. Well, they both his mom and dad were like very almost like fifties era, like golly gee. Oh, a hundred percent fifties. Look at his suit. Look at how he dresses. Yeah. So a well, tie on his head is a joke to him. That's a joke to him. Well, you know, but he's got that long hair. So he's, he's he can't be trusted. He's on the marijuana. <laughs> Oh, and like I, I found the um the Midwestern accent of the, of uh of the mom pretty pretty fun. Oh man, like I, I was like this was played out when it was new. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I had fondness for the movie Fargo, but it it in isolation I enjoy the accent because like that came from an SNL character where the joke was they're very Midwestern, and I can enjoy a I can enjoy and I have enjoyed on this very podcast a Midwesternity. Yeah, you've done it multiple times. Yeah, but I was doing it as Harry Potter breaking up with Ron, so like that's a different. <laughs> <laughs> like, I forgot about that. The extra yeah, levels do a lot. I think you'll find. <laughs> but there are certain accents that you enjoy sans context. Sure. Right? I think this is just one of them for me. Okay. Like, I just like hearing the... It just sounds good. I, I, I was... Uh, it's like Brooklyn to me. Well, Brooklyn. I yeah, Okay, so now I now I see what you're saying. Yeah. Now, now <laughs> I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> All right, Mikey. <laughs> um, does Bobby's voice... Does Howie Mandel doing the Bobby voice have a filter to it, do you think? Because it, it doesn't just sound like he's throwing his voice, does it? If he's doing it for seven seasons, I got to imagine that's doing some permanent harm if he doesn't have a trick. Yeah. Um, it, it does sound like there's got to be a filter over it. Because it's very nasally, but it sounds like nasally past the point at which plugging your nostrils could accomplish. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, I've heard nasally, it, and it doesn't sound like that. And I want to, um, I, I don't, I don't want to forget that there are segments where live action Howie Mandel is interacting with cartoon Bobby. Maybe that's just to give us a a bar to clear, you know? Yeah. Like maybe, maybe, maybe that's to, because like those are really rough. Yeah, he's he's yeah. very he's a very awkward man. I, you know, he was a stand up comedian. He was. You know, he he was part of uh, John Tesh's coalition at one point. <laughs> Stop He's, saying that like it means something. He well, I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying he was in like a lot of subcultures where like it's the same thing I think about when I think about Weird Al. Like he must get groupies, but like that see that looks weird in my head. Mm-hmm. But that had to be true for Howie Mandel, right? Well, uh, so I think that 
his particular expression of comedy has a lot to do with like, you know, he's gone on record. He's been very open about his, his, um, you know, mental issues. He has anxiety. He has OCD. He's a germaphobe. Yeah. He has anxiety. You don't say. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, where the in the, didn't help. geez, where in the show did that come in? But uh, point to me, one location. See, you have to see his performance as an expression of that. I think just modern comedians channel it in a different way. And it's very odd to see it so raw here. Mm. Yeah, it, I mean, like, he doesn't do anything for me as a comedian or as a person. Like, as a person, I don't think I'd want to talk to him. But, so so, so I, I can't really engage with it on that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It, it is kind of cool. You know, I like what you said about, like, with Louis, the whole, like, talking to himself, seeing himself at two different places kind of affect. That's kind of a neat one. I so like it. We, I think the biggest issue and why I liked Life with Louis a lot more is... He oh, was, I like Life with Louis better as well. Don't he, get me wrong. Yeah, I mean, it was a better show. But yeah. he was doing that, you know, to work through some stuff in his relationship with his father and his going through his childhood issues in a new way. Whereas here, it feels like Howie Mandel is like, I'm an adult, but I think like a kid. Isn't that wacky and weird? Yeah, it's a little bit like self-aggrandizing or, or, or something to that effect. I don't know. It's just a very, hey, look at me. That I don't really engage with. <laughs> He's got a lot of hey, look at me energy. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, please don't look at me. <laughs> look at me for as long as I want you to. Yeah. Yeah. I will not I, give like, you warning. Yeah, I have, Zane, like, you convinced me. I have disdain for this human. But, but I, <laughs> <laughs> This was not my goal. <laughs> but I, We're going to get some do. hating from the Howie heads. <laughs> not, not, from the, not from the Mandel Association. <laughs> In in concert with the John Tesh, uh, <laughs> John Tesh Orchestra, yeah. I but I I did like this show for what it did. I like I like the, I like the. Uh, I've said it before. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have one closing remark, kind of extra detail thing, which yes. I think you will enjoy. So, Howie Mandel would go on to host Deal or No Deal. Did you know this? Yeah, he dealt. He didn't dealt. He did it all. The, uh, the year is 2007. Uh, what a year. An audience that had grown up on Bobby's world for nine years had seen him vanish from the face of the earth, deservedly, one might say, um, only to be fiending for it as this contestant comes on to deal or no deal. Mm. And he asks Howie Mandel, could you please bring Bobby back? And lo and behold, after the commercial break, this extremely creepy real-life Bobby walks in. <laughs> Not real life. Like, he's still, like, animated or something, or he's, like, wearing cardboard, or there's, like, a green screen or something like that. But Bobby from Bobby's World did, in fact, show up on Deal or No Deal. And it's jarring. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine. It's it's a fascinating display of people had fondness for this character. I don't to understand. the point at which they're bringing it back for an episode of Deal or No Deal. He says hi to the Deal or No Deal ladies. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's extremely weird. Could you imagine if, like, you know, Drew Carey is hosting some game shows now? If they were like, can you bring back this side character from the Drew Carey show, like the Dancing Turkey or something? There was a dancing turkey in Drew Carey show. Yeah, I can't really get into it. I well, I wish you would. Uh, I think he it's, was. It's better than Mr. Pitt or uh, Mimi. I think he probably ages I, better than those characters. This was just one of the main things I remember from the Drew Carey show. Is he was going on a diet once, and he was so hungry that he envisioned like a Christmas turkey uh, on the ceiling, like 
dancing and strutting around all sexily and he just zones out and everyone's like are you true are you all right and he's like yeah i'm fine sometimes i just go blind for a few seconds and that's it it may just be because i'm coming off the end of thanksgiving but each year that passes i'm less and less interested in eating turkey and more and more interested in eating drew carey what's he hiding <laughs> look at that butterball <laughs> just put some of those chef uh what are those turkey leg hats? I want some of those on his ears. <laughs> What's with those? What simply know. is the deal with those turkey leg hats? There's a um, there's a sequence in Monster Hunter. Uh, Ulysses showed me this one time where there's like this great cat chef because cats are a race in that. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. But like there's this great cat chef who like throughout the entire game you uh, you get food from his restaurant and he doesn't actually cook it. Like those are done by that's done by underlings. But he like comes in and like. Does the finishing touches? Oh, the salt bay shake. Like not not the salt bay, but like he'll put like a sprig of parsley on it, or he'll like <laughs> put the little like like the little turkey chef hats just just so right on the yeah, right yeah. on the ends of the thing, and that counts as a contribution. Like his his time is so valuable that that's all the attention he can spare. But it's done with like the cinematography of like a Diffusing master painter a finishing something off yeah. yeah i have to say i really thought this is what more of today's conversation would be like because i didn't expect you to like this show and i thought we'd have like half an hour oh i'm sorry Did, is there anything that you wanted to like rip off of that we didn't get the chance i just wanted to just do bullshit because i figured like the show would be the intro and the intro would be like yeah bobby's world he's weird it's dumb moving on <laughs> who, who is that character that goes like oh it's flea it's flea, flea yeah. doing a human is yes. what Bobby's voice is like. It's it's Flea from Wild Thornberries doing a human voice. It's that it's like when you pull it's like when the balloon is losing air and you pull the sides and it squeaks. Is it Elmo? Not it's not quite Elmo. It's close though, right? It's like a cubic Elmo. Cubic Elmo? <laughs> Let's move on. No. <laughs> well, okay. Um, yeah, I don't have anything else from this. No, uh, me neither. Yeah, I just, uh, I liked it more than you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's about it. I think it's fun from the one perspective that I had mentioned, but uh, I'm sorry to put you through some, some, some harm. No, it's fine. I'll be putting you through some harm very shortly. Zane, how are you going to be putting me through harm very shortly? Well, Ben, we are going to be watching the Jimmy Timmy Power Hour. Oh, oh yeah. Now... We only need to watch the first one of these, but if we like it, there's two more after that. We also will be watching this in person. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be good. <laughs> so that'll be that'll be an interesting uh, dynamic. Maybe you should, like, record it while we're fresh off the back. Yeah, yeah, because, uh, you know, we, 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 uh, we can try some new, unique ways of doing things. Why not? Mm-hmm. That'll be what's going on next. So audience please go to our website cartoncast.com or fancybat.com slash cartoncast you can leave a comment in our contact page there um you can go to our uh, you can leave a rating or review on apple podcast stitcher any of those guys um and uh let, let us know what you think because we would really like to hear from you and more than anything else please tell your friends about the show mm-hmm. hey sorry bobo but we gotta get going we'll see you tomorrow can i at least take webley i like webley Oh, just the, like stuffed spider. He's so cute. It's uh, what a cuddly little thing that is. <laughs> um, yeah, you can bring 
Webley, but uh, only if he can solve this master case. Of... Why, why are you saying it like you're shimmying your hips? <laughs> <laughs> hey, boo-boo, you can only... <laughs> Not, no, you weren't doing it like Yogi. You were, you were doing like... Uh, uh, who's that singer that... Um, who that Hey Arnold singer is based off of? Dean, Dino Spumoni? Yeah, who, who's that based off of? That's again? Frank Sinatra. Yeah, you, you sound you sound like you're shimmying your hips. You're shimmying your hips like Frank Sinatra. You can bring Webley if you see me on Tuesday night. I'm on the road, baby.